0: We're continuing in Revelation, as I've said already. Uh, the last time we were in Revelation, believe it or not, was the 3rd of April. Uh, and uh, if my memory serves me correctly, I, I spoke from Zoom because I had COVID. So, <laughs> so here we are back, face to face, back in Revelation. And uh, we're going to pick up some blessings this morning as we continue this, this journey through this amazing revelation, this amazing apocalypse of John. The sermon this morning is entitled, Be of One Mind. Now that shouldn't surprise us, be of one mind. Those of us who are familiar with Paul's letters, talks about putting on the mind of Christ, be of one mind together, be united. But the question is, which mind? Be of one mind, but which mind? Because as we read in Revelation 17 this morning we'll see that the world is of one mind. So are we of one mind with the world? Or are we of one new mind in Christ? That's the challenge for us this morning. Which one mind are we in? Last time we were in Revelation, we considered God's justice versus the world's injustice we saw that uh, only in Christ's kingdom is perfect justice and perfect mercy found. We saw that the promised perfect justice of Christ it is what enables us as Christians, us who've received great grace and mercy, to be those who can show grace to others. The world around us demands justice now. Have you noticed that? Justice now, because there is no tomorrow. So we need to make sure anyone who's offended us or, or done anything against us, they need to face justice now. That's why we see the witch hunts going on all over the place. Party gate. Beer gate. Whatever other kind of gate. Witch hunt, one after the other. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of hearing about these things because it's relentless, it's endless, and there's never any perfect justice. There's always someone else to blame at the end of it. As Christians, we can rest in the grace and mercy that we have received. We don't need to hanker after punishing people now, because punishment, reality, is punishment's coming to everyone eventually. If we're not in Christ... Otherwise, Christ has taken our punishment on his shoulders at the cross of Calvary. I can sit down now. I've told you the gospel. (laughs) We're going to continue uh, into chapter 17. And in chapter 17, we see the start of what is the final vision of John in the closing chapters of Revelation, uh, where we see two cities being revealed. And in chapter 17 we see the first of these two cities, uh, the city of Babylon the Great, this mysterious whore of Babylon who sits on, on top of this beast which is itself positioned over many waters. The other city, which we'll discover in more detail later on, it is the city of God, the city to which we've all been invited The city to which, if we're Christ's bride, we are now involved in building that city and preparing it. But today's focus is going to be on this great and immoral city of Babylon, the great. We've seen her before. We've heard mention of her before. Uh, But now uh, the reality is that this marvellous yet corrupted city is being supplanted and replaced by God's greater and much more wonderful city. The question for us is, not only which mindset are we going to have, but linked to that, which city do we prefer to live in? Which mindset are we adopting? And which city do we prefer to live in? Do we prefer to live in Babylon? Or do we prefer to live in the New Jerusalem? We prefer to think like the world and all its vanity. We prefer to humble ourselves and think like Christ. Why don't we read from Revelation 17. May God help us this morning to understand and be blessed by this word. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, that's the seven bowls of God's wrath, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which he saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast, who once was and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will, make one, they will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is lord of lords and king of kings and with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. remember the NIV is a translation of the original and uh, as we've read that it doesn't quite convey the same uh, meaning of single-mindedness uh, where it talks about in verse 13 these these kings this these earthly powers have one purpose that's their single-mindedness they're of one mind verse 17 for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule. Okay so that's again their single-minded uh, pursuit their their eagerness to fulfill their wishes. But of course the powers of the earth don't realize that they're actually fulfilling God's wishes in revealing uh, their unrighteousness in in God's judging of unrighteousness and sinfulness He is glorified just as much as he is glorified in showing mercy to undeserving sinners. So are we going to be caught up in the world, pursuing relentlessly the world's pursuits? Or are we going to be like those gentle witnesses that we've read of in chapter 17? The witnesses to Christ. If you're taking notes this morning, I've got three C's for you this morning. Comfort, cost, and coming to our senses. Comfort, cost, and coming to our senses. One of renowned author Charles Dickens's most famous books is A Tale of Two Cities. I'm not going to do a straw poll of who's read A Tale of Two Cities. It's been made into films as well. Uh, in times past, maybe you've watched the film version Maybe you are, your interest is piqued by me mentioning it. Perhaps it would be good for you to read it. Uh, it certainly is a good book. Now the cities that Dickens wrote about were... Anyone can tell me which cities he was, te- he was writing about, Simon? Correct. London and Paris, two of Europe's great cities. Uh, and he was writing about them in, in a time of, of great upheaval and calamity, particularly in Paris, And uh, the opening sentence of his book is famous. I'm going to read it now. And have Revelation 17 in your mind as well. And the two cities, Babylon the Great and uh, God's new city. Dickens says, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on it being received for good or for evil, in the superlative degree of comparison only. Well, friends, God has given us his revelation in order that we might make comparisons we might make comparisons between God's revealed truth and the world around us God's truth and our own lives and in that it's possible for us to find true comfort yet the world does not know it in the coming weeks we will be making a comparison of the two cities mentioned in the final chapters of Revelation. Uh, And they really uh, contain, as I've said, the, the final one of John's visions that are recorded for us. Under analysis, under scholarly analysis, the great prostitute of chapter 17 in Revelation is revealed to represent the seductions of the world. As indulged in, we're told, by the kings of the earth, with whom they have committed sexual immorality, and the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk, we're told in verse 2. So the the kings have indulged full tilt. The kings have gone full tilt into the worldliness, uh, and the rest of us have been caught up with it. The rest of us have looked to our leaders, seen the blessings that they have, and we've hankered for the same. We've wanted the same. We've gone after it the same as them. This apparently great and marvellous city. And notice in chapter 17 that even the Apostle John is distracted for a moment when he beholds this great city. He, he's he's marvelling at her. He, he's impressed by the grandeur of the world before he's rebuked by the angel this great city this great power has captivated and seduced the world in order that the world would follow her indulgences her many vices and idolatries and this is really idolatry It is chiefly what the sexual immorality Described here represents. Sure enough there's plenty of sexual immorality in the world. We're well aware of that aren't we? But biblically speaking. When, when sexual, sexual immorality is talked about. In this kind of ontological way. It's talking about our spiritual immorality. Our spiritual unfaithfulness. For in going along with this Babylon this prostitute, a great many people have been caught up and destroyed. If you look at verse 15, it says, The waters that you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. Although this prostitute, Babylon the Great, represents Rome because she sits on a beast with, with seven heads which represent the seven hills which city has seven hills brother Rome Roma Roma was herself a goddess just like Athens Athena was the goddess of the city of Athens Roma was herself a goddess they they deified the city They they worshipped her From top to bottom, their allegiance was not to the God of creation, not to the God of the heavens, not not to the God of uh, ultimate right and wrong and truth, but to gods of our own making. So many people. So many people that they are pictured as many waters. The great ocean of humanity caught up by the sinful world system. Not just in the days of the Roman Empire. Babylon the Great represents empires through the ages, represents the ongoing world system that still rules the roost today, apparently. And these people are enslaved, yet they do not know it. In fact, they believe that they are benefiting from the charms of this impressive city. They love to live there because there they can indulge all their heart's desires. Verse 8. The dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. They are pursuing comfort. They are ruthless and single minded in their de- devotion to their cause. They believe that comfort is found in having more, in indulging themselves more. So this great city of Rome, the city of the Seven Hills is a fattened and drunken prostitute leading a great many people astray because they marvel at her achievements her grandeur see how well dressed she is in scarlet and purple with with jewels aplenty they marvel at her achievements, her grandeur, her power they believe that she will provide all the comfort that they need. What about us, friends? Where is our comfort found? Do we find it in chasing after the world? Do we find it in promotions at work? Do we find it in bigger and larger and nicer homes or cars? A bigger portfolio of investments? A bigger pension pot? I want to talk about the cost of the world system next. At the meeting on Friday, the youth were challenged over their fear of failure. How does failure make us feel? And how can our faith make a difference? Well, the same can be asked as we reflect on the great city of Babylon in John's vision. So many people are caught up idolizing the world's system and the allure of the world's riches that are on display. Humankind relentlessly pursues more and more with an insatiable desire, thinking that it will comfort and fulfill us, yet it will only lead to our doom. The world never spares time for failures. Have you noticed that? He was not interested in failures or losers. But Jesus is. Our God is interested in failures, in imperfect people like you and me. The beast on which the great prostitute sits the powers and the authorities that it represents will will ultimately destroy the city. Did you notice that at the end of chapter 17 of Revelation? In their greed and insatiable selfishness, those who pursue material things as ultimate will never be satisfied. Those who think that their comfort comes from creature comforts will never be satisfied as it says time and time again in scripture. For example, in Second Peter chapter 2, it describes the destructive pattern of those who are insatiable for sin. Because the truth is that sin never finally satisfies. Oh, it, it may give pleasure for a brief moment, but it's a hungry beast that grows and grows. And so Babylon's destruction is sure. It is inevitable. And we know from history that Rome and her empire suffered many civil wars. Then attacks from outside until finally it collapsed in the 5th century creaking and tired and thoroughly corrupt. When the world system collapses as it does periodically And as it will do ultimately when the Lord returns. What will we do? We must flee that doomed city for another safer and more blessed city. The new Jerusalem which the Lord God himself sustains and inhabits. And friends the sooner we flee the better. This truly wonderful and eternal city is the new Jerusalem. See, friends, despite all the brochures and advertising campaigns, Rome is not the eternal city. Christ's new Jerusalem is being built right now. As Jesus gathers his people in, have you entered Christ's kingdom? Do you have a new postcode? Or are you happy to remain at your old address because its benefits are way too comfortable? We've seen that it's all going to come crashing down eventually as the competing appetites for the world's limited resources overcome each other. And So not only is there a horrendous final cost to remaining in the world apart from God, but there is also a cost a temporary cost to following Christ. Now, dishonest churches never make much of this. But we're reminded in Revelation chapter 17 that the world system attacks the Lamb, makes war on him and all his people, the chosen and faithful, the witnesses of Jesus. We're reminded once again of this reality, in chapter 17, verse 6 and verse 14. But we're also reminded, praise God, that the Lamb has conquered and he will conquer all of these rebellious powers and systems. They are not ultimate. Only the Lord God Almighty, the King of the ages, the Lord of lords and the King of kings is eternally glorious, is infinitely good and only he can comfort, restore and provide light for our souls. But whilst the transition is happening, there's a cost. There's a cost for those who remain in the world and pursue its vanities. There's a cost for those who come to Christ. There's a call to sacrifice like Christ himself did. And so let us answer the call. Let us come to him. Let us come to our senses and realise that the stakes are high. The book of Revelation bears some similarities to the book of Daniel and uh, and the evil beast that's described here in chapter 17 of Revelation uh, the beast on which Babylon the great sits represents a mixture of Daniel's beasts because it's not meant to only represent Rome which at the time of writing at the time of John Rome was desperately sin sick you know, if you just if you just study the history of Rome's emperors, you see how they were snuffed out by their family members and by the, the bodyguard who was supposed to be looking after them. All kinds of intrigues and insanity was going on. Not only was Rome disastrously, disastrously sin-sick, but, but this beast also re- represents every one of the world's empires and power systems. Notice this beast was and is not and is to come, verse 8. These powers rise and fall throughout history, some lasting longer than others, but each and every one of them, if we've placed our ultimate hopes in them, they will fail. And they will take us with them into the abyss and into destruction. So friends, we must come to our senses like King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, the king of ancient Babylon, who was driven mad by the excesses of his delusions, but who, through a gracious restoration by the Lord, was restored when he lifted his eyes to heaven. And he blessed the Lord Most High and he praised and honoured him who lives forever, we're told. If you want to read more, it's a glorious text to read. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 to 37. Have a look at how Nebuchadnezzar was restored by God. In Revelation 17, we see that the people of the world appear to be united, of one mind, it says, verses 13. seventeen. They start out single-minded in their pursuit of riches and indulgence. But then they start to turn against one another as their self-centeredness gives way to insanity. And so in time, the Lord uses them as a tool to bring the whole unrighteous system crashing down. I hope as I'm describing these things that you can see some Connection with the world around us. What's going on in our present age? Friends, those in the world have no explanation for the cycle of misery that is unredeemed human history. The only answer, the only solution is that we come to our senses. But what does this look like? In chapter 17 of Revelation and verse 9, John is told by the angel that what is required is a mind with wisdom. A mind with wisdom. A new mind that is a gift from heaven. Beloved friends, we know from the rest of Revelation, the rest of the New Testament, and actually the whole of the Scriptures, since it all points to Christ. That we need the mind of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And Paul expands in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 27 to 28, that the bride of Christ, which is herself the new city of God, stands firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, For the faith of the gospel, and is not frightened in anything by our opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So let us resolve to put on the mind of Christ. Let us resolve, if we've come to our senses to flee the compromise of the world and its many seductions and instead find that our names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life as his chosen and faithful ones. Let's bow our heads in prayer.